Well, we are getting back into our series in the book of John, and uh, each week in the book of John, we are looking at a different miracle of Jesus. And John calls these miracles the miraculous signs of Jesus. And so uh, for John, uh, Jesus' miracles, they're not just like fancy, you know, things that are meant to display his naked, you know, raw power. They are, each miracle is a sign, it's a pointer. Each miracle is meant to teach us something really important about who Jesus is and what he came to do. And just as a sign, you know, nobody, you know, if you're going to the lake, you know, up there in Heber Springs, nobody comes to the, the sign for the lake and says, oh, we're here, you know, and they stop at the sign and pull their beach chair out at the sign. Nobody does that. The sign points beyond itself. The sign is there to tell you that you're going in the right direction. And each miracle of Jesus is a sign. It's there to teach us uh, about the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ and what he came to do. Now, John is really clear about the reason why he's giving us these signs. At the very end of his uh, gospel, at the end of this book, uh, John 20, verse 30 and 31, John tells us the purpose of the signs. And so here's what he says. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are, written, which are not written in this book. So he did lots of things. John is just recording some key miracles. But he says, these are written so that you may believe in Jesus, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may receive life in his name. And so why did John write down the signs? Why are the miracles recorded? He says, so that you would believe in Jesus and that in believing you might receive life in his name. You would read the sign, see what Jesus did, and that that might lead you beyond the sign to belief, right? To, to greater trust and faith and belief in Jesus Christ, and in, 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 in believing, you would have life in his name. So uh, the, the doorway into the life that Jesus offers is belief. And so it's really important that we read the signs so that we might uh, believe ourselves and experience the life that Jesus provides. Now that raises a question though, what does it mean to believe? What does it mean to believe? You know, these signs are all written so that we would believe, but what does it mean to believe in Jesus? What does it mean to have faith? How do you, how do you know that you have faith? Because faith is kind of a vague, uh, general kind of a term. And a lot of us think like faith, maybe it's something you work up, you know, like, ooh, I've got faith, you know, this maybe an emotion that you work up and believe in Jesus, or, or maybe it's a temperament, you know. Some people might say, I'm a, I've got a skeptical temperament, and other people have more of a trusting temperament, and so really faith is not my thing. I remember when I was a college pastor, there was a young boy, his name was David Kim, and David Kim was a, a Yale student. He was a philosophy major. And he came to our group. He came to our church. And he said, Brent, um, he says, I just, I can't believe. I'm just, I don't have the temperament to believe. I'm skeptical. I'm a scientist. I'm a philosopher. And, uh, you know, you may have a temperament. Maybe some people are, they have the God gene, but I don't have that temperament. Some people think faith is a temperament. Some people think it's like a talent, you know. Some people have it. Some people don't. Right? Some people believe, some people can't, like some people can sing, and some people can't, and you know who you are, by the way. What is faith? Well, what this passage tells us is that faith is for everybody. It's not, it's not necessarily a temperament. It's not something, it's not a talent that some people have. Everybody, no matter who you are, is meant to believe. 
The beauty of this story is that it is designed to teach us something about the nature of faith. This story where Jesus heals the, uh, this man's son is a, is a picture of what faith looks like. And what Jesus does is he takes this man from one place and he leads him into faith. He leads him, you know, through stages almost uh, into a p- point where he actually believes. Now, what I love about it is that this man comes for a miracle and he ends with faith. Right, and, and it's important to know that Jesus, he never just wants to do something for you, he wants to do something in you. Right, you come for one thing, but, but Jesus always wants to bring you to a new level, a place of greater faith, and that's what he does for this man here. And so what I wanna do is I wanna go through this story. It's a, it's a beautiful little story of this man, how God, Jesus heals this man's son, and I wanna take you through the stages of faith. That, that Jesus brings this man through. And Jesus wants to bring us into a deeper level here, so let's see what he does. So let's look at the first, the first stage here, right when this man comes to Jesus. Verse 46. So he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. And, it, and at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, He went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. We'll stop there. So the story opens, and this man comes to Jesus. And this man, it says he was an official, and uh, literally the word in Greek is the Greek word basilikos, or uh, uh, yeah, basilikos, which uh, could mean uh, a royal person. And most people believe that this is a man who was an official in the court of Herod the Great, the, the king of Jerusalem at that time. He's from the same place where Jesus is from. So uh, Jesus goes back to Cana in Galilee, and, and this, that's where this man lives. So this man uh, grew up around, you know, the same place where Jesus grew up. So obviously he's heard about Jesus. He knows something of Jesus' power. He knows something uh, of Jesus' miracles and that he that he's, uh, heals and, and does the miraculous. And so he comes to Jesus because his son is sick. And it says that his son is deathly ill. His, his son is not, doesn't, have a, doesn't, doesn't just have a cold or some little thing that's wrong. His son is at the point of death. And so this man is in a desperate spot. He's, you know, he's just really reaching out for anything. And so he comes to Jesus and asks Jesus to heal his, his son. Now, uh, you know, if you've ever had a child who's sick, you know how desperate that is. You know, you're, it's your child, and, you know, you're, you're kind of trying anything. You know, natural remedies, you take them to specialists, and you're just kind of desperate to get some sort of answer, to get some sort of help. And that's where this man is. And then notice how Jesus responds. It's kind of strange. So he comes to Jesus saying, could you come down and heal my son? And notice what Jesus says to him, verse 48. He says, unless you people see the signs and wonders, you will not believe. So here's this man, he's desperate, you know, his, his son is ill, and Jesus looks back at him and says, you people, unless you get the, all these signs, you'll never believe. Now, that's kind of nasty, isn't it? <laughs> that seems kind of, uh, kind of caustic the way he, he responds to this man, sort of cold. Why does Jesus, Jesus do this? Well, if, if you've been reading through John, you know that Jesus does this kind of a lot, You know, someone will come to Jesus for help, and he'll respond with some sort of cold, almost putting them off. And so, for example, if you were in church uh, two weeks ago, remember remember the the wedding in Cana? 
uh, Jesus' mom comes to him and says, oh, they've run out of wine. And he says, woman, what is that to me? It's not my time to die yet. And it's like, come again, Jesus? <laughs> what was that about? There, there's another place where a woman, a Gentile woman, comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, will you, will you heal me? Will you take care of me? And he looks at her and he says, the food is not meant to be given to the dogs. Almost calling her a dog there. And, and, she, and then, of course, she responds, but even the dogs get the crumbs from the table. And so he's kind of putting her off. He's sort of pushing her away. And that's what Jesus is doing to this guy. Kind of, you people are always wanting signs. Why does Jesus do this? Well, it's because Jesus here, he wants to, to pull this man into a deeper level of faith, right? The man already has a certain trust in Jesus. I mean, he, know, he believes that Jesus can heal, right? That's why he's come to Jesus. I mean, he's got a little bit of faith. He knows that Jesus, he believes that Jesus could do a miracle. He's a, he's a miracle worker, but, but that's Jesus, that's fine, but Jesus wants to bring him to a new level. At this point, uh, the man looks at Jesus almost like a, a conduit of spiritual power, right? A, a conduit of the miraculous, almost like Gandalf, right? Or maybe Miracle Max. Miracle Max, have you guys heard of Miracle Max? Princess Bride. Um, see, he sees Jesus as a miracle worker. Or maybe, you know, we saw um, Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade last night, and there's the, the Holy Grail. Everybody's after the Holy Grail. It's like this object of spiritual power, and everybody wants it because it gives, you know, uh, eternal youth. And uh, but at this point, this is, this is uh, he doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. He doesn't know him at all. In his mind, Jesus is simply a conduit of spiritual power. He's a source of a miracle. He's a problem solver. He's got a problem. He wants Jesus to solve it. Jesus wants to take him higher than that. Now, I don't want us to condemn this man too much because I think that all of us kind of come to Jesus that way, you know? If you think about it, most of us come to Jesus because we have a problem, right? You know, you've got a marriage problem that you think Jesus could solve, or you've got a parenting problem that Jesus could solve, or a health problem, or a drinking problem, or some other problem, and you come to Jesus because somebody's told you, hey, Jesus can help you, Jesus can figure this out, and so maybe that's why you show up in a church. All of us come to Jesus this way, wanting him to solve a problem for us. Many of us still come to Jesus this way, and, and it, it, you know, if you listen to my prayers, for example, most of my prayers are, I come to Jesus when I need help with some problem. You know, Jesus, oh, I can't figure this thing out at work. Oh, Jesus, help me here. I want Jesus to solve my problem here. And I want you to see that, that that's kind of natural. Jesus will never turn you away. If, if that's the way you're coming to Jesus, he's never gonna say, well, that's, that's all you want me for is my power, go away. No, he'll let anybody come to him that way. He will meet you wherever you are. He wants to talk to you about any problem that you've got, but he doesn't wanna leave you there. He wants to take you to a higher level. Because when you're at this level, you're, you're relating to Jesus almost in a mercenary fashion, right? You're, you're almost a customer, and he's got what you need, and so let's do a simple exchange. Jesus, I'll, I'll come to you, I'll get what I need, and it's easy. I'll go on my way, you go on your way, no problem. That's what this man wants. It's simple, it's short, it's easy. Heal my son, I'll be gone, I'll be out of your hair, Jesus. Jesus wants more than that. And I think for you know, a lot of us, although that's not a bad place to be, Jesus wants more because a lot of us, I think we come to Jesus with our problems and if that's the only reason why we're coming, as soon as the problem resolves, 
As soon as, soon as it, you know, the pain goes away, you're gone. The problem is gone and you're gone. Right? I've noticed myself that I pray a lot when I'm in trouble. And then when things get better, it's like, who is Jesus? I've got more important things to do. Right? And there's a, I've, I've seen it, man, in church. I see it a lot where people are in church when things are bad and, and, and then the problem resolves and pretty soon they're not showing up anymore. It's kind of like a doctor. You know, if you're a doctor, you see your patients when they're in pain. The pain goes away, you don't see them anymore. And that's okay because that's what a doctor is supposed to do. But Jesus is more than that. Jesus wants to do more than that. You see, he, he wants to do more than something for you. He wants to do something in you. He wants to bring you to a, a level of transformation, a, a level where you're actually relating to him more than in a mercenary fashion. Hey, I, I want to get something out of this. He wants you to know him and, and believe in him for who he is, and that's where he brings this man. From simply wanting a miracle to actually trusting in him. So let's look at the next level. Notice he, he, he pushes the man off and he says, look, uh, you know, you people won't believe unless you see signs and wonders, but look at the way the man responds. He's moving to a new level here. He says, the officials looked at Jesus and said, sir, come down before my child dies. And I love this. Jesus says, you, you know, he pushes him off and says, look, you people won't believe unless you see signs and wonders. And he just looks back at Jesus. He said, sir, my, my child is sick here. Come on, before, before he dies. I know, I, know that, I know that you care. I know you're not just a conduit of miracles. I know that you care. I know that you're, you're not just a miracle worker. You're a shepherd. Sir, my son is at the point of death here. He's persistent. You go, you'd almost say doggedly persistent here. He won't let Jesus push him off. And he, he's just pressing in and saying, I'm not gonna go away. And, I, and Jesus seems to love this sort of persistence when you look in the Gospels, right? For, to, to the indifferent, Jesus lets them walk away. But to a group of people who are willing to, to claw through a roof to get to Jesus, or to a woman who breaks through a crowd and, and grabs onto his, his, his robe and doesn't let go, or to a man who's willing to climb up in a tree just to get a glimpse at him, Jesus loves this stuff. Jesus loves the persistence, and that's what this man is doing. Jesus, my son is sick, and I'm not going to let go. It's almost like in the Old Testament, the story of Jacob. You remember Jacob, he wrestled with God. He wouldn't let go, and, and he said, you know, I won't, I won't let go unless you bless me. I won't let go unless you bless me. The man kind of reminds me of that. He's persistent, he's pressing in, and he's moving into a higher level here of faith and trust. He's showing us what, what belief is beginning to look like. And so notice what Jesus says in verse 50. Jesus looked at him and he said, go, your son will live. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. So Jesus looks at the man and says, all right, go, your son is healed. Now this looks like a great response, doesn't it? It looks like exactly the response that he wanted. Yes, my son is healed, but I want you to see that this is not a great response. This is a terrible response. This is, this is a worse test than even the first one because the man, remember his first request? It was, Jesus, come to my house. My son is sick. I want you to heal him. Now, why did the man say that? It's because in those days, a miracle worker, if they were going to do a miracle, this way it always happened. They had to be present. 
Right, so whether, you know, you were some sort of a healer or a prophet or something, the, the prophet had to be there if the healing was going to happen. And so, in the, for example, if you look in the Old Testament, like at Elisha or Elisha, these were uh, prophets, and the way they would heal was by putting their staff on somebody's face or stretching, stretching out their body on somebody. They had to touch them. They had to be there. And here Jesus looks at him and says, I'm not going to go with you. Trust me, trust my word, your son is healed. Jesus is asking this man to believe in something that's never happened before. He's asking him to believe that he could heal with a word. Now, do you know how godlike that is? You know, most of us, we speak a word like a treehouse, like I'm building a treehouse at home. Treehouse, and a treehouse doesn't just appear, right? My words don't have creative power. I wish they did. Treehouses are hard to build. I've got to say treehouse, and, and then uh, my son will say, Dad, when are you going to build us the treehouse? You said you are going to build a tree. I have to go out and make it with my hands. But God's word has creative power at the beginning. Let there be light. Boom, there was light. Trees, there were trees. God's word speaks things into existence. And so Jesus is asking him to believe a claim about himself. He's saying, he says, I want you to believe that I have God-like power, that, that I can heal with the word. I want you to entrust your son's life to my word. Do you think the man's gonna do it? He does do it. Look what happens. He turns around. Jesus says, your, your son will live, and the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way. The most important phrase in the passage is the man believed the word that Jesus spoke or the man took Jesus at his word. This is faith. It's believing the word of Jesus, which is believing the character of Jesus. It's saying, Jesus, I believe that you will do what you will say. It's not just coming, faith is not just coming to Jesus for your problem, it's trusting Jesus with your problem. I believe, Jesus, you say you love me. Jesus, you say you're in control. I am gonna trust your word. I'm not just gonna come to you for a miracle, I'm gonna believe you with my miracle, with my problem. He's entrusting his son to Jesus. Before the man says, Jesus, do this on my terms. Come to my house, do whatever you do as a miracle worker. That's what I want you to do. And Jesus says, I'm not going to come to your house. I want you to, to trust me. Let me do it on my terms. And the man believes. This is faith. Faith is trusting somebody's word and their character. And this is what Jesus wants from us. He wants us not just to see him as a conduit of miracles. Oh, Jesus, help me with this problem. Help me with, with that problem. Help me, help me, help me. It's Jesus, here is my problem and I trust you to do what you will do on your terms because you are trustworthy. And the man went on his way. Faith is always trust. In my house, uh, faith is demonstrated all the time when my wife will believe what I say. So, for example, she will, uh, with decorating the house, for example, uh, she, will, she, she will say, should I put these things behind the piano or should I put them on the wall in the kitchen? Okay, she's asking me a question. She's looking to my decorating and aesthetic esper- expertise to decorating the house and I'll say, you know, I think that you should put those behind the piano. 
Next day I wake up, I go out, and they're in the kitchen on the wall. She doesn't trust me. She doesn't. She doesn't. Right? Or should we buy this, this uh, rug, you know, from Ikea, or should we go and get this other one? And I, oh, I love this one. She gets the other one every time. My wife does not trust my aesthetic sensibilities, and she probably shouldn't. But this is trust. It is trusting somebody else's will, somebody else's ability, somebody else's wisdom. Believing in Jesus is trusting his wisdom. It's believing him on his own terms to do what he wills in your life. Trust. And you've got to know him in order to do that. You've got to really believe that he's good and that he's right and that he's wise. This man is moving in that direction. He's moving in that direction. And notice he shows that by obedience. I mean, one of the ways you show that you, you uh, trust Jesus is through obedience. The man turns around and he does exactly what Jesus says. He goes on his way. Martin Luther uh, talks about three stages of belief. He says, these are Latin words. He says, belief is composed of three stages, three levels. He says, the first is notitia. Uh, notitia is knowledge. That's what it means. It's just knowing the right thing, right? You, you know that the, the truths or the theology in the Bible, that's what I know. It begins with at least knowing that there is one God, that he created the world. But he says it moves on to a census, which is I don't just know it, but I assent to that truth. Yes, I acknowledge that truth. It's what you do on a Sunday morning when we put the Apostles' Creed up there. We all read it together. We are giving our assent to the truth that is up there. But he says faith is not faith until it moves into fiducia. What is fiducia? Fiducia is confidence. He says, he's, and he illustrated it like this. He says, uh, uh, Notitia is looking at a boat and saying, yep, I believe, I know, and I give a scent that, that that boat is seaworthy. But, but fiducia is getting into the boat. You're trusting your life and you're trusting your problem to Jesus. Just, this is where Jesus wants us to go to. And in my life, you know, there are so many problems that I, that I come to Jesus with. So many things that I'm begging Jesus to do for me. Sometimes he, he does them, sometimes he doesn't. But in every single case, he's saying, don't just come to me with your problem. Believe me. Trust me with your problem. On my terms to do what I will. This man is entrusting his son to Jesus which finally leads us to the, fi this is the final stage, we're moving all the way here. He, he believes Jesus and then he goes on his way, verse 51, and as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. And so he asked them the hour when he began to get better and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed, there he is, he's there all the way. He believed, he trusted, and all his household. Now this was the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from, from Judea to Galilee. So the final stage is that this man trusted. He believed, he put confidence in Jesus. John Stott puts it this way, faith is a reasoning trust. A trust which reckons thoughtfully and confidently upon the trustworthy of God or the trustworthy of Jesus. And so the final stage here, Jesus, 
he entrusts, he, he finally believes in Jesus. And this is what he does. Before he came to Jesus with a problem, and he learned to trust Jesus with the problem. And the final stage is he says, look, you, I've trusted you with my son, now I'm gonna trust you with my entire household. He believed in all of his household. Everything is yours, Jesus. Not just my son, but my life. I'm resting it all on you. And this is the place where Jesus moves him. There's a old story, a famous story, and preachers use this story all the time, but I'll use it too because I think it's pretty good. It illustrates the faith that this man has. So in the late 19th century, there was a tightrope walker. His name was Charles Blunden. And Charles Blunden, he was famous for one thing. He would walk across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. And uh, people would flock all over to watch Charles Blunden do this thing. It was an amazing feat. And there were certain things that he would do on the tightrope. So he tightrope. So wouldn't just walk across. He would do various things. So one time he walked across blindfolded. Walked across and back. And another time he walked across and, and he pushed a wheelbarrow, you know, across the tightrope and, and then all the way back again. And then there was one thing, one time where he actually got his manager and walked across with his manager on his back. I don't know how he convinced the manager to do that, but he walked across with the manager on his back. And my favorite one is he, he would go out and he would uh, go out to the middle of the tightrope and he would cook an omelet out there. <laughs> but he was famous for, he had a chair that he would bring out there and he'd put this chair on the tightrope and he wouldn't rest two legs on it, but one leg and then on the tightrope and he would get on top of the chair and stand on it. So just this amazing thing. Yeah, I know, the heebie-jeebies, right? And... Uh, so there was one time where, where Blunden, he, he did all these feats, and he went to the, to the crowd, and he says, who believes the great Blunden could walk across the tightrope with somebody in the wheelbarrow? And they all said, oh, we believe, we believe you can do it. And then he says, who would like to get in the wheelbarrow? And it's like, nope, 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 nope. Oh, we're not doing that. You see, there's a difference between notitia, knowledge, or even assent. Oh, I believe you can do it believing Jesus for a miracle, and actually getting, giving your life to him. And saying, I trust your character. And I believe you not only with this problem, but, but with my entire life. You see, we trust things. We trust things like money. And we, and we trust things like our health. And we trust things like our control and our comfort. Oh, if, I only, if I have this, my life is okay. But Jesus says, I don't want you to trust these things and come to me and say, give me the thing that I trust so that I'll be okay. He says, I want to be the one that you trust. And I want you to trust me with your comfort. I want you to trust me with your money. And I want you to trust me with your sex life. And I want you to trust me with your family. It's giving your life to him and resting your life on him and saying, I believe you. Now somebody says, I can't do this. How, how, can, we, how can we move to a place of trust like this? I want you to see a couple things, a couple of three things. <laughs> Number one, it's a process. Faith like this, it's a process for him, right? Every circumstance, every situation in your life is moving you through the process. Nobody's faith is perfect, it's all growing to the right place. Number two, it's not, it's not perfect. When this man went away, I don't think he, he walked away and said, oh, yes, I believe, my son is gonna be healed. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I think he went away going, oh, my gosh. 
I don't, I don't know. I, he probably walked one, just one foot in front of another. I don't know if this is going to work. And I think a lot of it, faith is always imperfect. It's never super strong. It's always kind of faith and doubting. And I think it's, it's, it's never perfect. But then finally, I want you to see it's, it's in an object. The object of your faith matters. And the, the object of this man's faith is Jesus. And in the Bible, the thing that's important is not so much the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith. You know, if you're falling off a cliff, and you look over and you see a branch there sticking out of the cliff, how much faith does it take to grab onto that branch? Not much, you just gotta grab onto it. What matters is whether that branch is gonna hold you. The object of faith is what's crucial. And Jesus Christ is a bedrock-solid object of your faith. You can trust him with your life. How do I know that? This man's son was healed. Maybe mine wasn't. Maybe my situation is still there. Well, the word there, the hour, this man believed when he saw the hour, the fever left him. And the word hour in John is really important. Whenever Jesus uses the word hour, he's always speaking of his death. And he's saying, Every time this word hour is mentioned, it points forward to the cross. This man's son was healed and saved, but God the Father's son was lost on the hour of the crucifixion. This man got his son, God God lost his son, Jesus Christ. And how do you know that you can trust God? It's the hour. He gave his son for you. He lost his most precious person for you. He gave his son for you and he says, because I've done that, I'm telling you, you can trust me. And Romans, I'm almost done. Romans 8, 31 says this. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? How do we know? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him freely give us all things? How do you know that you could trust him? How do you know that God is for you? You have to look at Jesus. God lost his son. And if he gave his son for you, how much more is he going to take care of everything else in your life? Faith. Question, what in your life do you need to trust God with today? Not just what miracle are you asking for. It's not wrong to ask for a miracle. I ask for him every day. God, please make me taller. It hasn't happened yet. It's not wrong to ask for a miracle, but you need to trust him on his terms. And you move in and you grow and you get faith. And listen, faith is the key to life. The more you grow in faith, the more you grow in life, eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you so much for the story of this poor man who, Lord, you're making this deliberately difficult for him. He comes to you just asking for a miracle. That's all he wants. But you want to do something in him, not just for him. You want, you want to uh, produce in him trust and faith, which leads to life, transformation. God, I, um, all of us here in this room have things that we're asking for, things that you want us to do for us. And thank you when you do those things. Thank you, Lord, for your miracles, God. But we pray that you'd produce in us the miracle of faith, of trust, God, that you would work in us dependence, life-giving trust in your word and your character. 
God, do this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.